It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Take Talk Podcast. I'm Stephen O'Rourke, and as always, I'm with my co-host, Brett Whitefield. And Brett, the holidays are here. Thanksgiving is here. <laughs> it's an exciting time. It's a stressful time for some people, but overall, it's a time for good food and hopefully good football. Yes. Yes to both. First things first, I love how we call it the holidays. It's like we treat it this this time of year like there's no other holidays that exist, you know? It's like these are the holidays. Thanksgiving, right. Christmas Eve is his own holiday basically at this point. You yeah, know, and then Christmas and then New Year's. It's like these are the holidays, though. You know, all those other ones, they don't really exist, but these are the holidays. So, well, it's just so for like a month period, it's just so jam packed compared to like yes. everything else where, you know, you go a month or you go like two months and then there's another one. And like, and with Thanksgiving, at least in the United States, obviously Thanksgiving is pretty ex- is exclusive to the united states yeah. pretty much but like you know christmas is pretty universally celebrated in some way shape or form along with like hanukkah things like that like there's and there's also uh kwanzaa like all of that is in that so like i feel like that's part of the reason why we say holiday season is True. Like, there's so True. many different holidays that aren't just like maybe the ones that you and i celebrate and so like it's just in, to all, all encompass it yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, uh, it is crazy too, right? Cause like st- basically starting with Thanksgiving, you, there's so many events that happen because you have, you, f- you have a lot of people do Friendsgiving yep. and then you're doing Thanksgiving with your, your dad or your family and then your wife's family. And then you have Christmas with your wife's family, Christmas with your family. But then like, now that I'm having kids, I have four kids. So now we do like an intimate Christmas with my dad yep. and his wife. And then we do the big family party where everyone comes and it's like, there's like 19 different events to go to in like a 30 day period. It's, it's borderline exhausting at this point, you know? Oh yeah. Like my, like I'm newly married. I have no kids. I come from a, like both my parents' sides of the family are pretty large. My wife's mom, my wife's mom's side of the family is pretty big. And so like, we're at the point where like, I get, I got a phone call from my mom, like, all right, here's these holidays. And then her mom called, here's these holidays with these families. All of a sudden it's like, if we wanted to, every weekend could be booked with having to go somewhere to some party to see some family members. Like, yes, we're not going to let it happen, but like, nor should you. (laughs) <laughs> if, if I wanted to, I could be like, all right, family parties the rest of the, the rest of the month. We don't have to think about anything. We just have to show up. <laughs> yep. Real quick, I don't want to get too sidetracked either, Steve, but wh- when did you get married again? <laughs> I got married October 9th, 2021, right in the just, heart of football season. Just, just so people know, that's like roughly week four of most NFL seasons. So that was last year. Steve left me for an entire week to my own devices. And, and that was that, that was very hard. And Chris, you know, three weeks prior, friend, friend of the show, you know, <laughs> he was two weeks prior. You guys that were like basically two. back to back. I couldn't remember. Chris got married like week three. two. 
and then Steve two weeks later. And so now it's a new, it's, it's a new prereq when I hire guys, I'm like, I need to know about any pending weddings and when you're planning on doing it. Yeah. It's and if the, they give me the wrong answer, they're not getting hired. It's the weirdest <laughs> discrimination ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for, for the, uh, for the people who take me way too seriously, um, I'm not being serious. This is a joke. I'm not discriminating based on wedding dates. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fall wedding throughout. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, back on topic. So, yeah. Oh, just also, it's a running joke within the company. I never let a moment pass where I don't take an opportunity to, to punch Steve and Chris for for getting married in the middle of football season. So that's, uh, oh, that's why yeah. I brought it up. It'll, but, never, it'll never be forgotten. But, you know what? I forgot. We had a company call yesterday with the team, and I forgot to make a jab. I was planning on it and totally forgot. Let's go. So All right. That's the fir- first company call where Chris has been off the hook. <laughs> it's starting. It's starting. You're forgetting. Yeah. Yes. So, oh, man. All right. Holidays, though. Steve, I want to talk food with you a little bit. All right. And I have some interesting takes. I know... You do as well, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> interesting dessert related thing. Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving, though, I've, I've come to the opinion in my life that Thanksgiving food is generally good, but the main entrees always suck because turkey is terrible and so is ham. And that's what most people cook. So I've switched it up in my life, Steve. I no longer do the turkey ham route. I go all out. I do... Smoked ribeye. Nice. Or sometimes I'll do like a nice reverse sear or something, get a nice crust on it. I've done prime rib in the past. Nice. And then I also do um, venison. I love venison. Yeah, we'll do back straps or even some type of like tenderloin or something. Um, And it's it's revolutionized Thanksgiving. People are (laughs) more excited for the meal than you can imagine. And I think it's, you know, this year we're going to my dad's and so I'm not going all out, but when we host, man, we, we do it big and it's, I think everyone needs to try this. Cause I know people are stuck. Like Turkey is so mid, right? Like I, Turkey, it just has so much variance. What That's what it is. And most people can't, they it's can't like, hit the good side. I actually, my a friend of mine that is in the area like he made a turkey last week and just i mean he did really well with it and his parents are both calling a very like culinary culinarily culinary gifted however yeah. you want to word that and so like i mean his he just like loaded his up with butter as butter and herbs and, and it turned out really good but like i i agree that if especially if you're not in control of it like turkey can be all over the place and it can be it's, it's so it's so like so easier to make it bad so much easier to make it bad and have it be like completely forgettable and ruin things than it is to like make it really good and make it memorable because turkey like even at its best not like that memorable you know yeah ex- ex- that's exactly right that's you just took the words out of my mouth it's just i mean it's, it's never like, memorable it's just a freaking deli meat at that <laughs> like right that's all it is honestly <laughs> Even if you nail it, even if you nail it, it's still just okay. Right. Like I'd rather have a poorly cooked steak than a perfectly cooked turkey. Yes. I, that is, I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. And and the reality is, is like 95% of people cooking turkeys 
don't know how to prevent it from getting dry and flaky and flavorless to the point where you're having to drown it with gravy, which look, gravy's great and everything. I just, you know, it's a little much when you have to literally drown your bird in gravy to make it taste good. Are you one of those guys that it's like, you want your meat at like baseline, like you're like the, the meat that you're eating, whatever it may be, should be able to be eaten without any type of additive, anything to make it, to, like add to it is that are you I, like i would say i'm not like, i'm not we're like putting steak sauce on a steak is criminal <laughs> i would never put steak sauce on a steak i'll put steak sauce on turkey though if it sucks <laughs> i'll put you know? steak sauce on like <laughs> a low grade cut of steak yeah yeah sure especially if it's like overcooked and a little ch- like uh hard to chew like a more of like a um, sirloin like a poorly cooked sirloin that gets a little tough yeah i don't mind throwing a little steak sauce on that but right. like when i do my ribeyes steve I do. I make a homemade zip sauce. That's nice. really freaking good, and I I put that on my steak. So I mean, I'm not super snobby with it as long as the steak is. If the steak is expertly cooked, and you come from a culinary skilled family, I do as well. My both my stepbrother and my stepsister are professional chefs at big time restaurants in the Metro Detroit area. Decent. Um, and th- so we just, we like have like a giant cook off every year. Like it's, uh, it's pretty nuts. See, that's the way it should be. And like, yeah. I, I, like I, I don't know, like for me, Thanksgiving food, it's like, it's good. It's fine. I just, I have, as I've gotten older, I've realized that like, there's ways to make, to do, to do better and make it better than just go with your standard mashed potatoes. Uh, oh like it's 100 like like it's great like it's fun and, and the amount of food is what draws me in usually but like i know my wife and i were doing our own thanksgiving this year and we decided like we're not doing we're not doing uh like a big course we're just gonna do like basically just appetizers throughout the day and just kind of like do a little smorgasbord of random stuff like we'll probably do like some chicken wings we'll throw in some mac and cheese at some point we'll do like you know fried potato skins and what about a little charcuterie oh we'll probably i mean that's that's my wife's wheelhouse so i'm sure i'm sure that'll get thrown in there at some point so when we have you guys over for dinner you gotta you guys gotta bring the charcuterie i'll do everything else i'll do the dinner yeah we can do do the dessert but you guys got to do the charcuterie because I'm a charcuterie lover. We just found a we just found a market in Deer, uh, near us in Dearborn that has like it's like an artisanal market. So like it has oh, all man. the cheeses, like all the fancy cheeses oh. and the meats and everything. So like that's that's a full go now that like she now that she found that we stumbled upon it a couple weeks ago, and so I'm sure that'll be the crazy thing about charcuterie too. Steve is like. It's gotten very popular, especially with our age group. Yes. A lot of restaurants are serving now. But because of that, I feel like you're seeing a lot of price gouging on the meats and cheeses. I built a charcuterie board in the summer for like a pool party Uh for like 12 adults. And I spent like $85 building this thing. Oh, yeah. I believe that. And I'm like, it's not even like it was delicious, but like I wanted it all for my, I spent 85 bucks on this. I don't want anyone (laughs) else eating my charcuterie. That's mine. On second thought, I can't make it. I have to stay home guys. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But that's, it's kind of crazy, but charcuterie will, there'll be multiple charcuterie boards at our Thanksgiving tomorrow. We all get together for basically it it revolves around football the day. So we get together for the Lions game at 1230 and we don't leave till the last game's over. 
it's kind of nuts, especially with four kids. They get a little tired and a little sleepy, a little, little cranky, but it's all good. We, we just literally watch football and eat all day. So we will do charcuterie. There will be, I think, some wings, some venison jerky for like an appetizer. Nice. I love it. And then we kind of just build the day from there. But I love your, your, your strategy of just doing – like I would much rather have wings than turkey. Right. You know? But I, I think a lot of the sides with Thanksgiving food are great. That's why I said, generally speaking, I think Thanksgiving food is good. And that's, and that's, I agree. I enjoy, like, I love mac and cheese, love corn, I love mashed potatoes. Not a big, sweet potatoes. I, I'm not a stuffing guy. I'm not really either, actually. I'm not a sweet potato guy either. Really? I've tried. I've tried. I just, you know, I don't know. Well, what sweet, it is. sweet potato casserole though, with like the brown sugar and the marshmallows and all that. Like, you won't uh, do so that. I, I had, I can say that I've never tried that because a, a like sweet potatoes turn me off in general, and then b seeing sweet potatoes with marshmallows just doesn't sit right with me. Bro, it's <laughs> so good I though. I can't do it. I can't do it. So like most of our sides will be comfort foodie. Yeah. You know, so it's like real, real good, like homemade mac and cheese, sweet potato casserole, some greens. We'll do, we'll do a really nice, uh, greens. We'll usually do like, um, asparagus and prosciutto dish as well, oh, which okay. is delicious. That's good. Do a green bean casserole, which is delicious. Yeah. But- I think green bean casserole is underrated. If it's done right, it can slap. Uh, absolutely. That's yeah. it. It's another one. That's, that's another one. Like, Thanksgiving food. The problem with it is that there's so, there's a lot of upside, but there's a lot of downside with it too. Like there is like gra- I'm a I love gravy, big big fan yeah. of gravy, and that's another food that like you can make it like if you use the turkey, you use the tur like the juices yeah. and things from the turkey, and you use that as a base, and then you build it up from there. It's good, but there's like I when people like do it out of a box or whatever it's terrible oh terrible it just tastes like liquid cardboard and so like that's my biggest like not the biggest concern because i like again i've always had good thanksgivings because i've always known who's cooked it that may change my life as you know we meet friends and things like that who knows but like for me i've never had like worry around that but i do know that the, the variance and some like some people's view of Thanksgiving is completely different depending on how the cooking is in their family. That is very true. Like growing up, I did not enjoy Thanksgiving meal as much as I do now because, you know, all basically all the people who cook now are like my generation. So me and my brothers, my wife, their wives, and we all just are better cooks. I feel like than, like my mom was not a good cook at all. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, and her and her her family, none of them are really good cooks. So it's like very very mid to below average Thanksgiving dinner. But we've definitely upgraded. Anyways, I'm excited about it. And then we should probably we did have, we did real quick. Just oh it's yeah, a big topic desserts. I mean, if you had like, are you a pie guy? Are you? Uh, I. What's this is your, gonna sound crazy. Thanksgiving dessert. So this is gonna sound crazy. I am not really a dessert guy, in that general. It doesn't, doesn't surprise me, actually. Yeah, I, <laughs> I and I basically can never eat it because I'm, you know, always training for something or trying, you know, having to cut weight for some event or something like that. So, right. I I really try to stay away from it. But it's not even really Thanksgiving centric. But I love cheesecake. Okay, it's the one dessert I can I will splurge for, and. Every year, someone will bring a cheesecake to Thanksgiving. So that's probably what I'll eat. If I had to go pie, though, 
I'm an apple pie with ready whip guy. Okay. And this is ready oh no whip, sorry ready whip ready whip uh, or ice the, cream the spray, right? No no no. Or is that the out of the? You no you're right. Sorry I said that wrong. Ready whip is the spray. I don't like the spray. Okay. I'm a cool whip guy. There we go. Out of the tub. Okay. okay. Yeah or ice cream. You know, if you get the, the pie hot and it gets all melty, the yep. ice cream really takes that dish to another level. Yep. So if I have to do pie, that's the way I go. I don't like pumpkin pie. Pumpkins weird me out. And like you can, I've had good pumpkin pie, but for the most part, I think it's terrible. Okay. And then I can. I yeah, love, the texture is weird. I was, raised, I, don't, I, I was raised on pumpkin pie. My dad loved pumpkin pie. So I really? was raised okay. with it. So I, I like, I think I've, fa- I've it's lost its luster a little bit, but I still enjoy it. Yeah, I'm like an albatross because I'm the only one in my family who who hates it. But I will go for some uh, pecan pie. This is rare. Like right. we don't have that a lot, but it's good. It's more of a yeah. southern dish, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you can find pecan pie and throw a little little ice cream on that, or or Cool Whip, you're you're in business. And then sweet potato pie, it, it can be good as well, but it can also be terrible. Because sweet potatoes are they're a real weird balance there. Yeah, as you said, you don't even like them, so like they're definitely. I'm out. I've had really gross sweet potato pie before, but it can sure. if you do it right, it can be very good. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, so I'm an apple guy. I'm an apple pie, cherry pie. Oh, cherry cherry pie is okay. My wife okay. Sam makes a really good cherry pie. I'm I you can pretty any fruit pie. I'm probably in on. I really I like key lime. You do I key like lime? key lime pie. I do. Really? I really? I like key lime Man. pie. It's another one that I don't like me ice out. cream, though. I am not. An yeah, ice I know. Guy. That's I I, I. I revealed that it's it's usually I wait until people start you know liking me or enjoying working with me or before <laughs> I reveal that because it it always elicits a very primal response from everyone involved. Usually, a lot of flag planting yeah, immediately it's follows. A lot of like <laughs> disgust and. Like you think that I you think that I just told people that I don't like like that I said something bad about someone's mom or something like that's just immediate disgust and like questioning it's like that I'm it's like I'm on the witness stand they're like you don't like ice cream did you say that right I'm like yes I yeah. did and I don't listen it's my apparently it was just my cross bear loved it as a kid went to college got super poor, didn't have money to splurge on that. It was, I had, I needed money for beer and staying in like rent and, <laughs> and chicken. And so didn't have it for a while, had it again for the first time in like what had been three years. And then I tried it and I was like, this isn't it. I try it. Like I tried it a couple months later. Wasn't it. I try it like once a year just to see if, if it comes back, it hasn't. This know, is man. the weirdest take. The fact that you like say you loved ice cream and then four years later, just I, I all think, of a sudden you don't like it. I think I just got burnt out on it. We like that was the only dessert we had when I was go- growing up. Like there were like man only dessert, and I don't know. I just I now so I don't eat it. It's my wife loves it because then she no she you know she she likes to have like her pint of ice cream every once in a while just in the house, and she loves it because she knows that. The only person that's touching it is her. <laughs> that's so it works that's out. Like, for so, her. in the work chat yesterday, I put a poll in, and I, I just wanted to see, you know, where people stood on pies. And so I said, "Hey, with your pie, 
are you guys a going with ready whip b going with cool whip c don't care they're both good or d <laughs> i forget what d was be a man be a man don't don't put anything on your pie <laughs> which is not me by the way I, you have to, i have to have something on my pie but um Yes, and, and then Steve chimes in with, or a couple people had commented, well, you forgot ice cream. Ice cream's goaded on pie. And I was like, yeah, ice cream is pretty good. That's a good good point. I probably should have put ice cream in the poll. And then Steve chimes in with, well, actually, guys, I don't like ice cream at all. Not even on my pies. I just don't like ice cream. And then kind of set chat into a frenzy because. But I, found, I did find some support. From who? Uh, I think it was Anthony. Anthony said that he doesn't like it because it makes his teeth hurt. I like that. Anthony, go go to a dentist, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you might have some cavities, my man. Sorry, Anthony, not to throw you on blast there, but <laughs> But I just I had uh, support I had support in the room. It was surprising. That's wild. I don't think ice cream is like some over the top go to dessert, but it's so consistent. Like it, hot summer day, you can yeah. go to any boutique ice cream shop. And you're gonna get a delicious scoop. Listen, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I just don't like it. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. Have you tried like other flavors, or are you just I like do sherbet? I love sherbet. I love fruit flavored stuff. Sherbet, I'm all in. You like all fruit fruit flavored stuff? Pretty much. Like, so like do you I, like sour beers? Like sours? I do. I do too, actually. Uh, like if I'm going for candy, it's usually Skittles, Sour Patch Kids, somewhere. Oh, in, same. So. I'm Sweet tarts, Smarties. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I I raid my kids' Halloween bags of all the Smarties. <laughs> so good, and then I I barter for the Sour Patch Kids usually. But there man, smart. Well, we just spent twenty one minutes talking about food. Which honestly, my second favorite thing to talk about usually it's like <laughs> football saying, and like, food. Who doesn't love Who doesn't love talking about food? Right. Um, we should probably talk football though. Let's since oh yeah announcement by the way we're not doing a Friday show with uh, Black Friday happening. There's football being played on Thanksgiving, a lot of football, which means Steve and I have to work for a good chunk of Friday, at least a half day. Yeah, and then there's a bunch of family stuff going on later in the day, so we really don't have time. So we're gonna kind of hit multiple angles today. We're gonna review a little bit of of this past weekend's <clears throat> terrible slate of games, and then we're gonna get into pre- previewing the. We'll do the. We'll talk about the Thanksgiving slate, which is pretty tremendous, actually, best in recent memory. So, yeah. Um, but week eleven, Steve. Let's talk about that. Uh, what a what a train wreck of games. It was a stinker. I mean, we said we said it, but it was um, less than stellar. I don't know if my eyeballs can handle that again. I just like. Ugh. It just was ugly football all the way around. Outside, like, Chicago-Atlanta was fun, and that was it. Actually, let's talk, that's that's a perfect game to start because this is the – I told you I had a subcategory I wanted to talk about. Yes. It came from that game. Okay. All right. The Atlanta Falcons hosted the Chicago Bears, and they won 27-24. In that game, Cordero Patterson – Rips off a 103-yard kick return for a touchdown. His ninth of his career, setting the NFL record for kick returns for a touchdown. And I made the statement in our company chat that I think Cordell Patterson is a Hall of Famer because of how good at kick returns he is. And people don't realize how good he is. He is by far the best of all time. Would you agree with that? 
Yes, kick returns, yes. So I made I made a, a quick top five list for you, Steve, and I just want to show you show the listeners how much better Patterson is than all than the other guys on that list. You have Josh Cribbs. Yep. Leon Washington. Okay. Mel Mel Gray. That one. Okay. Dante Hall. You're gonna put John uh, Hester in there? He was he was not really good at kick returns. He's better at punt returns. Okay. I mean, he how many did he have? He had like what? Two or three. Was it only that many? Okay. I think All so. Right, that's fair. I think so. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and then I didn't include those guys from like the 30s and 40s who have some weird numbers, but like <laughs> I didn't include them because it's the 30s and 40s. But the thing that makes Cordero Patterson's kick return career so significantly better than everybody else's is he did it exclusively in an era where they were trying to get rid of the kick return. And people don't realize this. Yes. Among the other guys on this list, Cordell Patterson has by far the least amount of kick returns. And he also has the most kick return touchdowns. Yeah. For example, Dante Hall had 426 career kick returns and he scored on six of them. Patterson had 264 and scored on nine of them. Like almost half, almost half as many. It's actually absurd. He, (laughs) Half as many returns and double the amount of touchdowns. It's it's yeah, it's pretty nuts. So also his career average is twenty nine point six. Dante Hall's is twenty three point eight. I, I'm using Dante Hall because he's typically the guy everyone says is the best, other than Patterson. Yeah. Um, or Cribs. Dante Hall's career average is twenty three point eight. Six yards per return less than Patterson. Wow. Which is nuts. In an era where they have made it difficult to return kicks, a you don't you just don't get opportunities. But when you do, you know the ball got moved up, so the right. defense is basically on you like flies on poo. Right, because for it or to the, be the coverage team, I mean, because usually for it to be a returnable ball, generally it's when like a kicker is putting the, putting the ball in the, like more air underneath it. You know, yeah. it's more of a it's more of a pop kick. Instead yeah, of or they're trying to put it like right on the goal line right. or just inside the goal line to instead make you have a, to make that choice. Instead of a drive, you know, yeah. just driving the ball through the end zone. Usually it's a little bit more finesse, a little bit more hang time. And so, like you said, there's way less room at the from the jump at the of the return than there used to be right. when, you know, Dante Hall was back there. And when Dante Hall was playing – the the touchbacks were still out to the 20. Yeah, that too. Which means there was, even if the ball was kicked relatively deep into the end zone, three or four yards deep, it's still, in a lot of instances, made sense to take the ball out of the end zone. Right. Because the chances of you getting past the 20 are a lot better than the chances of you getting out to the 25. Right. So the fact that Patterson's average is six yards per touch better than Hall is nuts. Yeah, that's it's crazy. nuts, and that that means it basically doesn't matter how deep into the end zone you kick it. Patterson's likely going to improve the field position if he takes it out of the end zone, right? Right, that's which is crazy. Four to five yards added to yeah. where you would be. And we all say it's a game of inches, and and man, like if you're every time he gets a kick return, you're adding you know six yards to the game. That's it's phenomenal. And he just for field position. And he just has a he just you saw it on Sunday. He just has such good vision when he's back yeah. there. He has he's very he has amazing vision. He's great at setting up his blocks. That's I mean, those are the two things that like separate him is his ability 
to redirect, set up blocks, and then cut off of that angle and utilize those blocks to spring him open. Yep. And it's a very underrated skill. And it's 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 not surprising that he's done so well as a running back given yeah. given you know given his return skills because he had because like you know he has the body he has the big body to you know to play running back to be inside things like that he's and it's just too bad that it took all it took him getting to Atlanta for that potential to truly be realized in the NFL Chicago his last year in Chicago, they kind of used him that yes, way a little bit. That's true. They well, they started to. Yeah, I think he had o- over sixty carries, which for a wide receiver, obviously, that's a lot. So, but like, um, for, but for if you think about returners, he probably had the most complete game outside of returning the football. And it's just yeah. it's just too bad, like we said, like it, that it took that long because I think that he could have been a much more utilized and much more dynamic player in the NFL. If you know, he hadn't gotten slapped with that. He's a return man label right away. And then people building out his game around that. Yep. I agree. I, he was a first round pick for the Minnesota Vikings in 2013. Yep. And I like people have routinely said he's a bust. I'm just not sure he was. I just think he was miscast. Yeah, I just don't think it's his fault. Like, I I just, yeah. Like, I don't put the blame on him because I don't think he got the right opportunity. And that's not necessarily. And to, like, to call him a bust, he still set an NFL record. I, like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. One, look at it this way. By the end of this season, he'll likely cross 5,000 total yards from scrimmage. And th- go over 35 touchdowns, along with having career marks in kick return average and kick return touchdowns. Right. Career high in the NFL, like NFL all-time leaders. It's hard to call a guy a bus when he's putting up 5,000 total yards, 35-plus touchdowns, and he's the best kick return guy of all time. Right, right. So I think he's a Hall of Famer, that said. I agree. I think that he is the best at one skill and that and regardless of it it's still a skill that is integral to the game and because of that i think he deserves to be recognized in the hall of fame because if you're the best at anything in the nfl like yep. i i just think that you deserve to be recognized in that like for that and that come and i think that should come with a hall of fame jacket I agree. He's also been what? Uh, so he's been an all pro four times for special teams, of course, not for his play. He's been a pro bowler four times as well. So pretty, he, he's got some sneaky accolades for, for a guy who's been relatively under the radar his whole career. And he's not slowing but, down. He's still like, he hadn't, you know, still looks a, good. a little bit of an injury early in the year, but he's bounced back. He looks good so far. He's, you know, continuing to help keep that Arthur Smith offense running somehow. And yeah, I just like, yeah, I think that he's a lot of fun to watch and I, I, and I'm enjoying that he's finally starting to be used in the way that he should have been used for years. Yep. 
He's averaging 5.3 yards a carry this year. Yeah. Like he's pretty darn good. Yeah. He's playing well. He's the best running back on that team. Yep. Agree. It's funny. We always talk about Arthur Smith and his love for unicorns. You know, he had Henry and AJB in Tennessee. And now he had Pitts and, and I wouldn't say London's a unicorn, but Pitts is definitely a unicorn. Yeah. Well, Patterson's kind of like a low key unicorn. He's like he's 6'2, 225, and, and, I mean, he he can runs flat like, out run. Runs like a deer. Yeah, right. Like, like, so it's it's. I'm not surprised Smith figured out how to get the best out of him. I guess is what I'm saying. No, that's why Arthur Smith is both frustrating and exciting, <laughs> right. but confusing. And he just he wraps all all of the emotions into into what he is as a play caller, head coach, anything, because. How can it's 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 just so funny where you look and it's like we all come we have all complained about Pitt's usage, Pitt's this, yep. and even London it has the season has gone on, but then we also get to praise how he's used Cordero Patterson. And guess what? They're still right in the thick of that NFC South playoff race. I don't I don't understand it. I Oh, we've talked about You're, the Falcons they are. a bunch, but they're just—it's—they're just so bizarre. They're one of the more bizarre teams in recent memory, in my opinion. It—they really are. They really are. As much as we want to discredit, um, you know, Arthur Smith and what the Falcons have done, he's getting those guys in position to win, and they've beat a, a plethora of pretty bad teams, right? The NFC South has had a cush schedule all around. <laughs> yeah. They did beat the 49ers though, right? Atlanta? Or no, they they just lost to them. Yes. They've had a couple close losses. It, like, it was know, a close game, yeah. They barely lost to the Chargers. They, you know, close loss to San Francisco. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely in the thick of it. Um and Steve, that was probably the most exciting game on this this last week's slate. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. everything else was trash. Like if we revisit the games we talked about on the preview pod, Cowboys Vikings was arguably the worst slate on or game on the slate. <laughs> it was terrible, and and you and but, I were both wrong. But it was a good. I mean, it's I don't know where do I even go with this. That's not like who the Vikings are a hundred percent. But just knowing that that game is in there <laughs> is horrifying, <laughs> right? You know, like knowing that that game is there and able to be played by the Minnesota Vikings. That's, that's horrifying. It really is. Because on the flip side, like you see a team like that where Minnesota just played their worst game and they lost 40 to three to a team that is also figuring it out. Like they're, they are by no means the best team in the NFC that I think that they gave that they made a case for it on, on uh, Sunday, but by no means do I think that they're like, clearly the best team in the nfc but like that the minnesota vikings can have that bad of a game and lose that bad where on the flip side you look at a team like philadelphia where they had two of their worst weeks in a row and granted they weren't playing teams to the caliber of the cowboys but they lost by four points or 12 they would ended up being 12 points i think or whatever, 10 or 12 to the the commanders and then beating the Indianapolis Colts this week by one point. Like those were definitively like 
some of the worst overall games for the uh, Eagles, and they only lost by lost by a couple points and then won by a point. Right. The Minnesota Vikings have had two like two very bad games, and they've lost both of them. And the margins have been seven a non competitive seventeen point loss and a a, a laughable thirty seven point loss. So that's just like it's just something to keep an eye on going into the like going into the latter part of the year and going into the playoffs is just know it like you yeah. you cannot feel solid about the Minnesota Vikings at, in any game anymore I feel like especially any game against a good opponent we you and I were so wrong about this game it's it's actually crazy oh yeah we both not only did we both take the Vikings I <laughs> proclaimed that it was the Dalvin Cook show week because the Cowboys have been so bad against the run now, listen, Cook early in that game looked like it was going to be a pretty good game for him, yeah. but the game script just got out of hand. I mean, it was it they did. couldn't they couldn't continue to run the ball. They, they had they the, wanted to. They wanted yeah. to make it the Cook show, but they just had no. They just yeah. couldn't get off the ground because the Cowboys and Dan Quinn and are have started listening to the podcast. Apparently, I. I agree. And this was, and I just, this is, um, I might get the name wrong, but Quentin Fenske, who is a listener, he tweeted at us uh, a couple days ago, and he said, the Lions put Hutch in a two-point stance, Cowboys put Parsons on the edge more, and Lombardi had, had Herbert throwing the ball downfield more. And he said, you and I are out here fixing NFL teams for free. I preach. I mean, and I agree. Like, look at like look at what happened to all three of those. Like the Cowboys played the Cowboys played Parsons on the edge way more, even though Anthony Barr was still out, which was an adjustment that I thought definitely needed to happen. And that, like what happened on the first or second offensive series for the Vikings, Parsons gets through with a strip sack. Like first first play of the game or first pass play of the game for the Vikings. Yeah, like I mean, it, talk about it. Talk about it being justified right away for you if you're Dan Quinn for like why, like that should immediately remove why ever putting him off the ball, except for a gadget blitz or you know maybe your third and long kind of like a NASCAR package something like that. But I think any question about where Parsons should be lining up is out the door. It's on the edge because he's definitively one of the most impactful defensive players in the NFL when he's lined up at the edge. Yeah. What's crazy too, is um, that play was beautifully designed as it like, I don't know if you remember that play specifically, but they put six guys in the line of scrimmage. Yep. And then they kind of do like this really weird zone back out with like, it almost looks like a safety rotation. And it's basically like three, we call it three seam. It, it, it ends up having a lot of man qualities, but there's a few zone droppers in there too. Sure. It just totally bugged Kirk out. He's like, he had no idea what he was looking at. Um, the way they set it up with their, with their pre-snap alignment and then what they showed post-snap, it just totally freaked him out. You know, he tries to roll out of the pocket and Parsons chases him down, knocks the ball loose. It, it was a beautiful way to start the game. I'm pretty big on the Cowboys now coming out of this game. Um, I do think they might be an Amari Cooper short, ironically, of uh, of competing uh, for a Super so Bowl. Mean, but it's so true. It, yeah, I mean, 
If you put Cooper on this team right now, how how freaking good are the Cowboys? I mean, you're basically two xing Michael Gallup at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. You say you'd be doubling what Michael Gallup is, and Michael Gallup's decent, but hey, he's coming off an injury, and even at his peak, he is not what Amari Cooper is. I like if you add that to the offense. Jeez, they would just completely different skill sets too. Like Gallup is a go up and get it guy. He's more of a contested catch, back shoulder possession type receiver guy. Yeah. Where Cooper is a true separator. Like even more so that like Lamb's an okay separator. He's more of an after the catch, scheme it up kind of guy. I want to get him on those deep overs and those drag routes. Um, Maybe a slot wheel here and there to get him a downfield look. But Cooper is a true separator. You can ISO him. Let him go one-on-one with a corner. He's going to win a lot of those matchups. He's going to move the chains. He's going to be valuable in the red zone. Like, they need that guy on the offense. This whole thing would, would move better if they had him. Yeah. Like, a lot better. If you put, like, if you put Amari Cooper in a defender in a one-by-one, in a one-yard-by-one-yard box, Cooper could find separation. Oh, absolutely. I'd get uh, Gallup. Gallup can make a contested, like, he, you know, he can – make a play at the catch point. He can be a big body yeah. receiver, but like yak isn't going to be there and he's nope. not going to win that. Like get being a contested catch guy or a guy that can't really separate, but can win with his hands. Like that's body control hands. He, yeah. That doesn't win all the time. Like there's just an no. inherent risk to that. And CD lamb, like you said, like he's fast. He has great top end speed. He is great at yak. But like you said, when it comes to separating, like if you were to put him in a one by one box, he wins that. Yeah, forty to fifty percent of the time, mm-hmm. Cooper wins that seventy-five, a lot. seventy-five to ninety percent of the time. It's like uh, the the popular game you're seeing on the internet all the time, walk ball. Yes, it's, yes. It's like yep. Cooper. Cooper would probably dominate that game. Yes, he would. <laughs> and um, I mean, the thing that, but the thing with the Cowboys that does give me pause, and I think everybody's talked ad nauseum about it, but it it's going to continue to rain true is. Like, why do they keep? Why do they keep insisting on Ezekiel Elliott? Yeah, I. I mean, I should say we know why. It's because it's coming from ownership and justification of a contract that they gave, and all of like at this like at this point, if Jerry Jones were to come out and say something against Zeke, that would require him to it's almost like a cult it'd require him to also admit that he had been wrong for the previous five years so oh yeah it's much easier it's much easier to just push forward with what you're saying than it is to do some soul searching and uh really grapple with the fact that you were just wrong for five years (laughs) steve how how like when when zeke got those two freebie touchdowns this week how right do you think jerry felt oh he's like oh yeah I knew it. Zeke's back. Two walk-in touchdowns, baby. You know, like you know, he looked at Steven and everybody else in the owner's box, and he's like, "That's why we pay that man. That's why we gave him that contract." Even though Pollard did the dirty work the entire day. Even though, like, the first touchdown is just the offensive line swing, like just completely bulldozing Minnesota's defensive line into the end zone. Where honestly, like you, Brett, I could have scored on that play oh i know i know like they had that they had they had the defensive line on the left side of the offense on the left side in a one yard deep in the end zone it was a cakewalk yep yeah pollard looks awesome now listen dan quinn if you are listening to this week's podcast please uh 
hand the headphones to McCarthy or whoever's calling plays there, Kellen Moore, whoever it is, don't care. Try putting the guys, those two guys on the field together once in a while, at least more than you do. Like, I'd yeah. like to see less Zeke in general, but if you're going to have, have him on the field, at least put Pollard out there too once in a while. Throw him in the slot. I would, because they're, I mean, let's face it, Noah Brown, he's performed well considering what they've asked him to do this year, but he's not a dude. No. So maybe roll some, some uh, you know, two tight end, or I'm sorry, two running back looks out there with, instead of trotting out a slot receiver in Brown, maybe you put out Pollard there. Let him, put him in motion, get him on those jet jet actions and see how the defense responds. I, I'm, I promise you, you'll probably get some, some really good free plays out of that. Um, Zeke right now, like he averaged 2.8 yards per carry this past game. The yards per carry is not always indicative of a running back being successful, but that's pretty bad, Steve. <laughs> yeah, when it's that bad, it still it says something. Yeah. You have to draw something. Um, yeah. And just but like before we move on, Dak Prescott's looked really good. He's yes. he's continued to improve. I mean, I obviously. We all knew the Cooper Rush starting was a joke, but or at least most people knew. But Dak Prescott's looked really good, and I think that he elevates that offense in a way that they've needed, and they haven't, and they don't see with him out. I mean, th- we for- like we forget that it wasn't just a couple years ago that this offense was just hanging forty on teams week after yes. week for a little bit. Like this offense has super high potential. And Dak Prescott is a very, like a very good, he's very good at throwing the football. He can use his legs when he wants. He hasn't done it that, so far this year, but he has the ability to use his legs when he wants to. And that's why, like, I, I'm comfortable saying that Dallas is probably right now, I would put them as my like second favorite in the NFC to make it to the nice. Super Bowl. I, I really. Eagles still number one for you? Yes. Yeah, me too. And that is, it, again, it's like I said with the Vikings for the Eagles. It's just that I've seen I've seen probably their their worst games, and their worst games still got them a win or almost got them a win. Yeah, and that you know I like I enjoy that, and I think that that has credence going into the playoffs, knowing that your floor is that high, and the odds that we see you know four fumbles in a game again are not that high. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, I think the Vikings peaked too early. I I think they played their best football already. And so what I look for when I'm trying to figure out who's going to come out of a a conference or even have a a deeper run than people expect, I'm looking for the team peaking at the right time. I think the 49ers are going to be in that mix. I think Dallas can be in that mix. I think the Eagles, they may have also peaked too early, but I think they can still get it back. They haven't done anything yet that says, Ooh, that's gross. And they, their schedules so their schedules True. easy enough that they True. can kind of like you can tinker with it. You can tinker with it, and you can figure some things out. Yeah, like the dark horse for me is Tampa Bay. Yeah. I think I think they they could they still can they haven't played their best football yet, and if they find a way to start peaking here towards the end of the year, I think they could be sneaky scary. Um. We'll see, though. They, I mean, they've been bad enough to be very concerned. So, yeah, it's, obviously they're again, five and five for a reason. So the, NF, the NFC is up in the air, and yep. San, like San Francisco, like you said, I think that they're a team to watch. But yeah, I think it's I I really like that roster. 
Um, I like this the staff outside of Shanahan. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think they're going to be held back by Jimmy. Is what I worry about. You know, I mean, they add, yes, they added Christian McCaffrey. Other than that, we've seen this. Like we've yeah. seen this exact iteration of this team before. Just you know, yep. their corners are a little bit different. They're a little bit worse. But yeah, their corners are a little bit worse. They added McCaffrey. Ayuk has emerged. You know, they have a, they have some different weapons on offense, but like we've seen this before. Yep. And until I don't know, unless unless we see Jimmy G go on a run of a few games in a row, like there's no reason to believe that it won't come down to can they play a good enough game where they don't have to rely on Jimmy G. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that is the nice thing about having them in contention is we all know what they are and we all know what they're trying to do. And we all know their deficiencies for sure. Um, all right. The other game we talked about was the lions at the New York giants and they went into East Rutherford, New Jersey, and they won 31 to 18. I proclaimed on this year podcast that they would win that game. It was a convincing um, win. It was a convincing win. I personally bet both the spread and their money line to win the game. Nice. And that, that paid well for me. Um, the main takeaway I had going into that game, and I said these exact words, he was, if the Lions don't have the blueprint for stopping read option by now, then they're doomed anyways. And they had already seen Jalen Hurts. They had already seen Geno Smith. They would already seen even Carson Wentz. They were doing some read option stuff with him. They had already seen Justin Fields, who's probably the most difficult guy they played yes. with the read option this year. Definitively. And they they had the reps. They had the in-game reps of how to stop read option. Daniel Jones is not Justin Fields. He's a pretty athletic dude. I'll give him that. But he's not Justin Fields. So I kind of had this feeling. I just knew that the Lions defense would show up and they would box that run game in. And that's exactly what they did. Um, early in the game, it looked like the read option was going to be bad for them. I think Jones got loose on one. But when I went through and tallied all of the the run concepts they ran with read option tag, yeah, it, the Lions basically gave up three yards of carry on those plays in some total. Not only that, they held Barkley to one point five yards of carry. They they took away the two things the Giants want to do, and it was a bloodbath. And that's, I mean, the read option. You don't have to defend it perfectly all the time, but they made it one dimensional. Yeah, and when you make exactly it, when you make it one dimensional, uh, the offense can't keep going to it because the, exactly. because it's just like they're, the upside of it isn't there anymore. Uh, Ali, like I, Ali McNeil won this game for the Detroit Lions. He did. Like, he did. I legitimately best game of his career. I legitimately for sure. and comfortable saying that he single handedly is the reason that defense gave up the the amount of points they gave. The reason that they shut down Barkley. I mean, he had a game that we've seen from maybe like th- that we can see from maybe two or three defensive, like interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, Lawrence Dexter Lawrence actually say, had Dex- a couple of those Dex- games this year. Dexter Lawrence was my third. Um, who's there's there's someone else I'm forgetting. Quinn and um, Williams is emerging as a guy like that this year. Quinnen. Quinnen, yeah. New York Jets. Um, I feel. I feel like there's. I feel like there's some. I know who he is. I no, feel like there's I, somebody I, else. I you're saying, I like, but um, either way, like he had ten pressures. He had a sack. I mean, the guy was on 
another level on Sunday. And I, I hope that this, I don't know if this is just, he had the matchup and he had studied game film and he had Lemieux just read <laughs> the whole entire game. I'm not entirely sure, but like if this is, if that's a potential development on that, um, on that defensive line, the line, I mean, I think that this week is the, I know we've said, like, I keep, I keep saying this in my head of like, no, this week is what is the true test for the, for the Detroit lions. But I do believe that if the lions stay competitive and or beat the bills, it's a different conversation. And I mean, it just, it seems like it just took this team a little bit of time for the youth to gel and people to get the concepts down and really like real, really like fully come together. I think it just took some time because they were young and people got impatient with the, with the lions. And I, I mean, I get it. Don't trust me. You, if there's anybody, that, if there's two people that get it, it's you and I, that we, it's okay. Listen, it's understandable to get impatient with them because we've seen the, the story that was developing yeah. time and time again in our, in our time as being around or being lions fans. Listen, this three-game win streak they're on, Steve, it, it hasn't looked much different than some of the other games. No. Like, I, know, I know we've said it before, but four of their six losses combined for a total of 14 points. Like, that's – Steve, that's less than four points a game. They're losing on – like, most of the games they're losing, they're losing by a field goal yeah. or less. Like, that's – so, yeah, I think some of it is guys are gelling – the scheme is taken off a little bit, especially on defense. Defensively, they're playing a lot better than they were pre-bye week. They were getting yes. shredded. Yes. Um, and then also, you know, they've had some breaks go their way. They're, they're actually forcing turnovers rather than being the team that turns the ball over. Which, Those things matter, and they're winning. Which that's what I was going to say is the big thing. Yeah. The big thing is if you just, like, dive into their pass, like, excuse me, their defensive passing statistics, weeks one through eight, they were uh, teams were completing uh, 69% of their passes, 7.5 yards, or sorry, uh, 8.4 yards per attempt. And, but the, but, and I said this last week, the Detroit Lions were forcing turnover worthy throws on 8.2%, but they only had two interceptions through the first eight yeah. weeks. Let's go to weeks nine through 11. Now, teams are complete, teams are only completing 58% of their passes. Holy crap. Yards per attempt has, has gone down to 7.5 and they forced six, they forced six interceptions in the last three weeks. And that's on, and that's on 7.5% turnover worthy throws. So those turnover wow. worthy throws are starting to turn into turnovers. Turnovers, which and is huge. And that, and that changes. So it's just regression, really. Just Basically, regression to the mean. Like yeah. they've been, they've been in the top third at forcing turnover worthy throws all season. Top third, the, top third of the NFL all season. It's just that's crazy. It wasn't until these last three weeks that they started converting those into actual turnovers. And wow. winning the turnover game is what ch- completely changes the complexion of games in the NFL. Yeah. All right. So I got a crazy way to take this conversation. All right. I don't want to linger on the topic too much because I do want to get into the Thanksgiving slate because yes. I think it's juicy. Oh, it's so but, good. We do have a, I know for sure we have a few Lions fans that listen. And even if you're not a Lions fan, I have a challenge to just football fans in general. Winning changes expectations, right? Yes. We've seen the Lions go on a three game win streak. They've looked pretty good 
not perfect, but pretty good. First three game win streak since 2017, which is yeah. Matt Patricia never had one. Matt Patricia also never won back to back road games either. In fact, Jim Caldwell only won back to back road games I think twice in his four years here. So it's been a long time since we've had a coach be able to do what Dan Campbell just did. Yeah. Anyways, um, my challenge to you guys is winning changes expectations. And with where the Lions are trending and where the Bills are currently trending, as a fan of the you need to expect the Lions to win this game. I've heard a lot of people I've heard a lot of national pundits too say this, but like, oh, is we just need the Lions to compete to prove it's real. No, no, no. The Lions need to go win this game. The moment is right now. The time is now. They've played well. The Bills are kind of on the heels. Josh Allen's played like crap for four weeks. He's, He's got the torn UCL. We've you know, there's some some down low stuff about the about the elbow that maybe, you know, it's more serious than we think. Like the the Bills had the giant snowstorm. Their travel arrangements have been garbage all week. They're gonna be poorly rested. Yeah. Short week, have to fly right back to Detroit. Then they did end up going home they for did. some reason. Yes, they did. I don't I don't understand why, but um it's like you have them on the heel, like on the ropes. The hit the knockout punch. This is Yes. Win your fourth in a row. Go beat the Bills. That the expectations have changed now for this team. It's time to do it. I don't. I, I don't. I don't want to hear the. Oh, we just want them to. You know, comp- not get blown out. No. Go win. Go win. This is this is a blood in the water game. Yes. This is this is like this is a game that should epitomize what the should epitomize and really be the like official stamp that the culture is here of what exactly. Dan Campbell is putting into play. I mean, yeah, we all talk like everybody's talked about his, his initial press conference, the biting the kneecaps, the, you know, yeah. take us down. We'll keep getting back up that whole mentality. I mean, this is it. Like this is the game to do it because you had, you started one and six, you had the games where you got beaten down. You took the punches. You did, you didn't pull through in all of them. But guess what? Now you're starting to pull through. You just had your first convincing win. This is like, if you're building a culture, this is the game where you, you take, you jump off that like first convincing win of your coaching tenure, first convincing win in five years for the Detroit Lions. I mean, probably since 2019, New York against the New York Giants at home was probably the last yeah. time the the Lions have comfortably won a game. That wasn't the Green Bay Packers not starting Aaron Rodgers or not giving a giving a crap about the game. And so, like, you're here now. Like, put your stamp on it. Go out and win. You're getting healthier. That injury report does not look as long as it does. They could be out their top four guards, which is a little bit concerning. Ja- Jonah's going to play, right? Jonah Jackson entered concussion protocol yesterday. So, oh, he did yesterday. So he's out then. Probably he's he's out. So we could be without, sorry, not we, the Lions could be without their top four guards, which is concerned, but it doesn't matter. You still are getting healthier in other. It hasn't mattered. It hasn't mattered. And you're still getting (laughs) healthier in other places. Yeah. And just. If there's one spot they're deep, it's it's that offensive line. So I'm not too worried about that, but. Put a stamp on it. You know, cement yourself because again, if they win this game. They are in the thick of it. That NFC is up for grabs, and they are in the, yeah. the, right in the thick exactly. of it. And they are exactly. In the thick of it, going in a direction that not every team is going with right. a schedule that is very conducive to making a run down the edge. 
brother, we haven't even got into that because that that is a, a great point. But Steve, I so did you watch Hard Knocks? You did, right? Yes. Yeah. So the first episode, I think Campbell had this. It was better than his first ever press conference he did, where he talked about biting kneecaps. But his speech was about taking the taking the enemy into the deep and then yes. eventually drowning him yes. deep waters. Yes. So I got news for you guys: the Bills aren't showing up to fight on the beach. They're already in deep water. Yeah, They've this been team tre- is reeling. They've been treading for a bit. Yes. So you, they've they've done a lot of the work for you. You just need to swim out to them and and bury them drown them fill their lungs with water they got to do it um let's for the the thanksgiving slate let's do uh, let's do for each team the three three keys to winning i think that like just for 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 all six teams what does what does each team need to do to win to win their respective game like if so, you, so for the for first first up first game of the day twelve, I think it's twelve thirty kickoff. Yeah, twelve thirty kickoff. Buffalo Bills travel to Detroit for the second week in a row to face off against the Detroit Lions. Let's start with since we're on the topic. Let's start with the Detroit Lions. Yeah. What are the three things that they need to do to win this game? So one, they obviously have to keep Josh Allen in check. Now, mostly with his legs. Um, he obvi- I've mentioned he played, he's played pretty poorly the last four weeks, which is true. That doesn't mean he can't snap out of it in an instance. So um, do not give him any room. You're going to have to use the same game plan you've been using, with whether it was Justin Fields or Daniel Jones or Jalen Hurts. Or G- We've gone through the list 100 times. They've seen these guys play. Now, Allen isn't necessarily a, a juke you out in the open field kind of guy, but he is a lower the shoulder and run your ass over kind of guy. Absolutely. So, um, you know, you got to contain him, especially with his legs. Got to contain the legs, you know, d- discipline and rushing the passer, discipline, pass rush lanes. Don't get cute. Don't give him an opening. If he's able to break the pocket and buy himself time, that's when good things happen for him and where bad things happen for uh, the defenses he's playing. That's number one. Number two, the Lions got to keep Jared Goff clean. The Bills' defense is hard to move the ball on, as is. The Bills' pass rush can be very good. If the pass rush starts getting home, that offense is going to have a very long day. Keep Goff clean. Goff's not amazing, but he plays so much better when he's not getting pressured. So much better. And the Bills don't blitz a lot because they trust the, they don't they trust that front four to get pressure. Yep. And I mean, thank like thankfully for Detroit, if you're if you're rooting for Detroit this weekend, their strength, the strength of their offensive line is on the edge, Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell. And the strength of the Buffalo bills defensive line is guys coming off the edge. They're without Russo this week. Most likely not. He's, he hasn't practiced the last two days. It doesn't look likely he'll be back, but you still have to go up against Von Miller. You still have Boogie Basham in there. They've, you know, they've got a good stable of outside rushers and they'll, they'll keep, they'll keep their gap, the pedal to the metal, but, they, the Lions have two guys that can go toe to toe with those with with those yep. guys. It's true. And then and then the, the last me, thing for me. Real, and then real quick, speaking to the Josh Allen thing. Listen, he's got the fifth worst passer rating over the last four weeks, and it's it hasn't been good. Four touchdowns, six interceptions, a seventy four passer rating. 
honestly, where he's been most effective is with his legs. He has 12 scrambles yes. for 159 yards in the last four weeks. Exactly, because he, he realizes it's off with the with the passing. It's it's not all so, the way there. He's he's yep. 60, 60 and a half percent completion percentage over the past four weeks. It's yep. been tough sledding for him. He, I mean, the names that are around him are Zach Wilson, Kenny Pickett, Ugh. Davis Mills, and Taylor Heineke. Oh my God, that's brutal. Those are the names that are around him. When you, if you like, sort by passer rating over the last four weeks, it hasn't been good. He, they, like, again, blood is in the water for the Lions. Yeah. All right. Third, the third key. Third thing is just they cannot afford to turn the ball over. The Lions, that yes. is. The Lions cannot afford to turn. I mean, honestly, both teams can't afford to turn it over. So I'll say that's a key for both teams. Yeah, it's a key for um, yeah. I mean, it, it is, <laughs> but it more so is with the Lions because they don't – they're not a talented enough team to get many mulligans. Right. You know? Right. And, you know, there's a lot of high-powered offenses that can overcome turnovers. I don't think the Lions are there yet. They've, they've had glimpses of it this season. But they're not there yet, and the Bills will take advantage of turnovers. They will score points off them. So, yes. it's very important to not give the Bills layups in this game because, like, there is a talent discrepancy. The Bills are a much more talented team than Detroit. Like everyone's comfortable saying that. That's why the the line when it opened was ten and minus ten and for it's the Bills at minus nine right now. Yeah, so it's it, it's moved a little, but not not enough. No. So the Bills are a more talented team. You can't give them layups. So while there is blood in the water, where you still have to play disciplined football and and you know take care of yourself. And that's the yeah the the Bills' pass defense is very good. It was the it was probably the best pass defense last year, and they're playing they're playing well this year so far. I don't think it's been up to last year's standards. They have been without um, Micah Hyde. Tredavious White Trey, hasn't Trey come White. back. You know, they've had some injuries on the back end. Poyer, Poyer missed Poyer, some time. Poyer missed some time. He's back. But, yep. you know, they've had some injuries here and there. But still, they force, you know, they're tied for the league. They're the lead league in interceptions so far this year. They only, mm-hmm. They've only given up 6.8 yards per attempt over the course of this season. They, you, they've only given up an 80.4 passer rating. Like, this team is predicated on – giving their offense a ton of opportunities because of how good their defense is. And that, like you said, that's where Detroit is going to have to be smart is take your chances when it's there. But if it's not take what's given to you, don't force the ball in there. Don't try and be a hero. Don't, you know, just don't make the dumb mistake that they want you to make to flip the game. For sure. For the Bills, Steve, I mentioned the turnovers, but the the first thing they think they have to do, and I would do it right away, even with the elbow issue, is I would test Detroit's deep pass coverage. Um, you really didn't see the Giants do it. I mean, in Joe, like when you look at the stats of from the Giants Detroit game, it looks like it favors the Giants in a lot of statistical categories, like total yards, time of possession. But a lot of that was garbage time. The, the Lions kind of sunk into this yeah. deep, soft zone the whole second half. And D- Daniel Jones had like 120 yards in the fourth quarter when it meant absolutely nothing. Yeah. So they didn't really try to take advantage because Detroit's been bad giving up big plays this year. They've given up a ton of big plays. Oh, so if yeah. I'm if I'm Buffalo. I'm coming out and I am trying to put them in a deficit right away. Cause if you take the game script away from Detroit, that makes things a lot harder for them. Cause they're not, they're not going to complete go balls. They, they really do rely on that run game to keep the chains moving. 
if you give them a negative game script, it dramatically affects what they're able to do, in my opinion. So I would I would come out throwing deep right away. I'd look for Gabe Davis. I try to get Gabe Davis on double move. I try to hit Stefan Diggs. Akuda's gonna miss this game, Steve. So like they don't have their number one shutdown corner. I would exploit the heck out of that. Yeah. I would go for it. Um I would so much so that I'm okay with a couple punts early in the game to try to hit these balls. Like if, if you end up, you know, throwing incompletions, like I want to put Detroit in a deficit immediately and I want to make them doubt their ability to cover on the back end. Yeah. Because when, you, when you've seen that doubt creep in, that's when the seams come apart for the Lions. Like yep. That coverage unit, they don't, they stop trusting each other. They start playing hero ball. They start taking chances they shouldn't take and they start busting stuff. I would, I would for sure make it an emphasis to be aggressive if I'm Buffalo. Yep. Just go go after it. I, I think that's their big key to win. Um, I also think it is keeping Josh Allen clean in the pocket. The Buffalo Bills have not had the best offensive line this year. I mean, that's just it's what true. it comes down to. It hasn't been great. They've given, started decent. It's kind of progressively gotten worse and worse. Right. They, you know, they're bottom 10 in QB pressure rate. In the NFL, they give up uh, pressure on 32% of their snaps. And blitz um, QB pressure on blitz rate is about 35%. So they do pretty well against um, against the blitz. But overall, I think the key, to, like a big key to the game is keeping Josh Allen clean because that's where Detroit has won the last couple weeks is by getting pressure and making the quarterback uncomfortable and you know, just putting the quarterback in conflict. That's what has really vaulted them to playing well these last couple of weeks is they had, they haven't, they didn't let Rogers or fields or Jones get comfortable at any point in the game. Yeah. And they like, you, you see, you just see it as the game progresses. These, if you keep the pressure on, they start to get a little bit of happy feet. The, you know, fields and Jones and Allen, they all will move around a lot. Allen will, it seems like in the last couple of weeks, he's definitely quicker to take off, which I think benefits. I mean, it could benefit the bills a little bit just because of how uh, not great. The lions have been against scrambling quarterbacks on non-designed quarterback runs. The lions have, have gotten gashed over the course of the season. I think they've given up the most yards on scrambles in the NFL. And I think they give up, like the, the the highest or second highest um, yards per scramble yep. against them. So that's something that Josh Allen can utilize, but if they can, if they can keep the pocket clean and they can let Josh Allen kind of go through his reads, go through his progressions, utilize the run because, because of coverage or because he sees an opening and not because he has to, I think that is where, I think that's a huge key for the Buffalo Bills um, this week is just keeping keeping that Detroit defensive line off of Josh Allen, which is going to be tough because they are going to be missing Mitch Morse and Ali McNeil's coming off the best game of his career. And so, you know, it's it's funny because in this game, I think that there's the ability for the bills to blow the completely blow the Detroit lions out. Like where the bills strengths are is kind of where the lions weaknesses are, but some yep. of the bills weaknesses line up directly with what Detroit wants its strengths to be. That's true. So it, overall it's, it's, it's fun 
for everybody because this is the first year in a while where I think people are actually interested in watching a Detroit Lions Thanksgiving game. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a punishment that's handed down from the NFL onto us NFL fans of like, oh God, we have to watch the Lions on Thanksgiving. Like, what a bummer. Throw it like oh, I'll just plan my nap. Like, this is actually an interesting game and between two very interesting teams. Yep. Uh man, I'm it's gonna be a tough watch because like I'm gonna be on the edge of my seat the whole game. I I'm gonna I, there hasn't been a Thanksgiving Day game I've cared about in a while. No. I remember the last one I cared about was when Detroit played Houston two years ago. And I only cared about that game because I wanted Houston to just to absolutely annihilate them <laughs> so Patricia could get fired. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, But, man. Oh, we should move on. Um, New uh, England, Minnesota. If you, had, if you had to pick. If you had to pick a winner, Buffalo or Detroit. I'm going to go I'm gonna go Detroit. I'm I'm riding the hot hand here. I like I'm gonna go Buffalo. Yeah, I figured I, you would. I'm gonna go. I just I can't confidently pick Detroit right yeah. now until and I hope that I hope they win. Obviously, as a fan, but as an impartial evaluator, yeah. I can't pick against the Bills because I think that Josh Allen is gonna rush for a hundred yards on scrambles, and I yeah. just think that that uh, their offense is gonna be too multiple and they're just gonna wear down that secondary. I think that secondary is young and I think Josh Allen will capitalize on a couple mistakes. Yep. I, um, you know, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about it, but I'm just going to ride the hot hand. I think there's enough, even like from an unbiased standpoint, there's enough things that have favored Detroit coming into this game that I think, I just think they're going to pull it off. Yeah, um, no, I, don't. I will say I will say that I do. I think Detroit covers the spread easily. Okay, I already got a ticket at minus ten. Nice, like right right when it dropped. So um, I, I'm not going to bet the money line. Full disclosure, I I do think Detroit wins. I'm not that confident. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm comfortable with my minus ten. And yeah, I um I don't think it's homerism at all to think that the Lions have a very real chance to win this game. Well, There's... apparently Vegas thinks I'm an idiot. So well, you know. <laughs> And who knows? We they could be proven right, and the Buffalo Bills could win by seventeen points. Yeah, but it'll be if, either way. It has excitement. You, you're excited to watch the first game in the, on like the first game that shows on Thanksgiving. You're not just waiting for the Dallas game or the game that comes later. It's exciting yep. that like right away, it's a game that is going to be loud. It's going to be fun to watch, and it has two teams that are going to be in the at least in some sort of conversation going forward the rest of the year hopefully i mean the lines could easily fade away but the bills for sure i think that this is a good te- this is a good time for them to get things turned around and start to uh push forward into the playoffs agreed um next all right, let's yeah let's do new york giants see. yeah giants cowboys At I, the I mixed cowboys, them up 430 second game um Cowboys obviously coming off of a throttling of the Minnesota yeah. Vikings the Giants we just talked about it coming off a lackluster performance against the Detroit Lions um the the questions that everybody has had about New York shined through in that game we had we had said I think us and every other national pundit We've all been kind of waiting for that floor to drop out for them. 
we've been waiting for like all right the, like this has to give at some point and it kind of did i think that that w- i think that it was more the detroit lions beating the giants than it was the giants beating themselves yeah which i think is a good thing for the giants in my opinion but what are the three keys for the giants to win this game against the cowboys I don't really know, man. I don't, I don't like, I kind of think this is going to be a continuation of, of Vikings Cowboys. Oh, you think um, it's just going to roll right into like, I, it's beating, probably going to, you can't expect any game to be that ugly. Right. <laughs> but I do think the Cowboys probably win this, you know, relatively easy. Um, I just think they match up so well. Like the giants want to establish that run game with yep. Barkley. They yep. want to put you in conflict with, you know, with Daniel Jones and the read option stuff and some design QB runs as well. But Dallas is so talented up front. I just don't see that really working. You know, I don't, I, I see Micah Parsons just being a monster in this game to Marcus Lawrence. I, I don't know. I, I don't really see a way giant, the giants get moving on offense to make this a game. Yeah. Like if Detroit can shut them down, then Dallas should be able to legitimately minimize what they do very effectively. I I think that there's really only one key to this game, and it's Daniel Jones bouncing back. For the Giants to win, what we saw from Daniel Jones was a little bit of the Daniel Jones that we had seen in years prior. The, like, you know, turning, turning the ball over a little bit more, like that, that throw – where he was intercepted by Aiden Hutchinson was not a smart throw. And Mm -hmm. those are the throws he had been avoiding all year. Like he was one of the least turnover. I think one of the least turnover prone quarterbacks in the NFL this year. And if he's reverting back to being more, a little bit more turnover prone, then the the giants are like, are in trouble. But if he can, if he can flip it back and play smart football, they have a chance. I think it really just comes down to Daniel Jones playing, playing turnover free football. And then, like you said, getting Barkley established in the game, because Holy cow, did that offense look completely listless without the pop that Barkley adds to that, to the offense. Yep. Like that offense, that offense goes as Daniel Jones and Barkley go, and the, and I mean that by their run game. I think that everything is set up by that run game pushing forward. And if they can't get it established again, it's done. And because you don't want Daniel Jones being the guy that like he has to just drop back and pick apart the defense because you couldn't do it against Detroit. And I promise you that Dallas is going to make things really difficult for him if that if it, if the game turns into that. Yeah. I uh, I mean you I mean the Giants uh, the Giants are the second worst offensive line in the NFL this year so far. They've given which up It's crazy cuz Andrew Thomas has played out of his mind. But Yeah, other they, than that it's been bad. It has, yeah, the, <laughs> and then Evan Neal was playing well as also. But that interior offense I think he's been okay. I think Neal's been good for a rookie. Yes. But he's still he's still having a lot of a lot of issues here and there. So, yeah. So, I mean, they've 37% pressure rate and that's, you know, and Dallas has to be licking their chops because mm-hmm. 
Micah Par like the joy of having Micah Parsons is you can move him all around and they can create pressure from a different a bunch of different angles. Yep. And that no, I, I you summarize this game very well. I don't I don't even know. Yeah, and then yeah, key key uh the key for Dallas is keep your offense on task. That like that's all it is. Just keep it on task, keep it moving, and then pressure Daniel Jones. Put him in conflict. Make him make him be the one that beats you with his arm. Don't give him chances with his legs. Don't let him get the run established. Get them into second, third, and long. Make Daniel Jones drop back and you know create a couple turnovers. And I think they will. I think that I I agree with you. I think Dallas wins this game pretty comfortably. Which, if I know anything about this NFL season, means that New York's going to win. But I still think that Dallas wins this game pretty comfortably. Nice. Um, yeah, for I really only thought I have left is Cowboys just need to play their game, you know? Yeah. Be, beast out on defense, you know, make sure you're getting Pollard involved and not just Zeke. Dak's going to be efficient throwing it. We know that. Yeah. So. That's, play play your game. Don't don't get out of your your wheelhouse. That's how Dallas loses this game. Is they get enamored with running the, running the ball with Zeke and they start pounding it up yep. the middle with him. Dexter Lawrence starts to have a really good day. Punt like plugs that run up. Then you know because the Giants' defense is very they're good at containing. Like they're not they're not really good at one thing. But what they are good at is. For like shutting down the run and then forcing you to be one dimensional and then being able to just like drop eight guys and then get a little bit of yes. some pressure with like with their interior defensive linemen in uh, Williams and Lawrence. And so that's that's how Dallas loses this game is they get too reliant on Zeke on first and second down. They start getting themselves into third and longs and the, the Giants defense is able to just drop back and sit in a sit in a zone and you know make some plays here and there yep but i think that fully agree tony pollard has emerged enough that they hopefully won't fall into that trend too much of just pounding zeke into the into the middle i traded him in two dynasty leagues recently like before zeke's injury and it just looks terrible for me now I kind of gave up hope that they would ever go to him as the main guy. And now he's just, he's been tearing it up. It's crazy. Tearing it up. <laughs> Heavy quotations around that. In my I opinion, because like he's putting up, he's putting up good fantasy points, but if you're watching the games, there's no way you come away with Ezekiel Elliott is tearing up defenses. No, no. Tony Pollard. Oh, Tony Pollard. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said Elliott. Yeah. Tony Pollard. Oh my goodness. Like, complete game breaker since week seven actually i so I, I traded him in two leagues in week five since week seven basically since i traded him he is number two in total fantasy points yep and he is number one in average per game gotta love it by a lot so yeah it's hilarious george costanza once again Happens to the best of us. Yeah, happens to the best of us. All right. The, the the nightcap of the Thanksgiving day when everyone's really sleepy and tired from all the good food and carb overload that they've had is New England 
being hosted by the Minnesota Vikings. This game's fascinating to I, me. I agree. I it's <laughs> like I it's fun. It's just it's just a fun matchup in in a weird way. Yeah. Cuz I what is New England? Uh, a what? very very good defensive football team. With Their defense has been nothing short of amazing this year. Yeah. At every step of the way. I love I love watching their defense. The way that Bill Belichick deploys Duggar and Phillips and uh Judon and Bentley, just they're just so long and they're they're they move fast and they're fun to watch. I really think that this is this is everything this is everything that uh Bill Belichick has wanted in the defense the last couple of years, and I think he's finally getting the full form of what he's wanted since uh really since Brady left. Yeah. It's just their offense, man. <laughs> Bro, their defense though, Steve, they've given up 20 or less points in 7 of 10 games. Yeah. And been... recently it's been even crazier, 17-3-3. I mean, they sh- they shut out the Detroit Lions who they did. Were outside literally of, the best offensive team in the league when they did two, it. They've scored 30 points five times this year. It's yeah. not a fluke anymore. They're one of the top they're one of the top seven to nine offenses in the NFL and the Patriots completely blanked them. Like it yep. wasn't even close. They embarrassed the line. The, the lines were coming off of a 45 point loss. Yes. And then the Patriots blanked them. That's insane. Again, Bill check is a, he's a defensive mastermind. Yes. So. I mean, over the entire season, New England is giving up 55.7% completion percentage, 6.6 yards per attempt. They've they've uh they have 11 interceptions, minus 4.5% completion percentage over expect, expectation. Um they, they just they just shut teams down. They just have like Belichick just has a system, he uses it, he has his players in there, and I think like I said these are some of the best players he's had in there, uh, like non-corner guys. Some of the best like safeties he's had since like young pa- since young Patrick Chung and having like young McCordy in there. Like Duggar is the, yeah. is, like, the full evolution of a Belichick safety, <laughs> which we we totally knew was going to happen when they drafted him. Everybody, right? I mean, it was it not like the most obvious thing in the world when you saw yeah. his athletic profile and his size and you just knew right away that Belichick was going to turn him into a very viable, very productive player. And sure enough, like he started to emerge last year, but I think that this year has really been his, um, has really been his coming out yeah. party fully. Jack Jones, dude, the, the rookie corner I mean, has been outrageously good. So good. They just they're suffocating. They're just a suffocating defense. They play, you know, they play about 50-50 man zone, and they're good at both. And I mean, Matt, Matthew Judon has been an absolute terror this year. He's getting to the quarterback like almost every game. He's he's getting to the quarterback at least once, and he's yep. he's looked just unstop unstoppable off the edge at times. It's just it's just a really good it's just a really good really sound defense, and these are the defenses that can beat Kirk Cousins. They are, and they just got Zach Wilson benched. Breaking news. 
Zach Wilson has been benched by the New York Jets. Which isn't surprising. Like, you had to know that it was going to be the, the New England Patriots that were going to break him completely. Yeah. Well, especially when, like, you have multiple receivers now that have thrown fits in that locker room. Yeah. It started with Elijah Moore and then Garrett Wilson. Yeah. I mean, they <laughs> you had to know something was amiss there. Um, but, yeah, the Patriots were the ones that broke finally broke him. He has been benched. Does that mean Flacco is the starter? Uh, I think it's up in the air between Flacco and Mike White. Dang. I don't think that there's been a decision made either way. But um, the yeah, the Patriots on the flip side looked just as bad as the Jets on offense on Sunday. Like they they are not coming into this game flying high or anything. They're coming to this game you know, limping in a way on <laughs> offense. Mac Jones has been next level bad this year. And yes, he has. I, it's partly because of him, but I think it's also partly because of the, um, the rocket scientist behind the, behind the plays is not helping him in any way. I would for sure say that has more to do with it than anything else, but. But it's just, it, I mean, he's completed 68% of his passes so far this year, but he has only four touchdowns of seven interceptions. Um, his turnover worthy throw rate is at 5% this year. It's just, it's been tough sledding for him. I mean, what's his highlight throw rate been? His, his, uh, or wild throw, sorry. 3.6%. So just was that middle of the pack? Yeah, right. It's probably like or lower, lower middle. Lower, like okay, yeah, yeah. He's he's been well. The offense has just been so out of sync. So they can't find a rhythm when they can't get the run game going. They just seem to fall apart at the seams. Yes. So um, it doesn't help that they have a collection of receivers that are all just meh. Yeah, I think Jacoby Myers is a very good number two slash number three even. As yeah. like a possession chain mover type guy, yep. slot you know, good slot receiver, yep. but they don't have any uh, dynamic playmaker. Like Devontae Parker's not, yeah, they don't have any dudes. Devontae Parker's not a dude anymore. He's nope. pretty good. They need a true number one though. <laughs> they need, they really need Thornton to step up and be that big play guy. But yeah. he's you know had trouble staying healthy, and I just Belichick doesn't really trust him yet. It seems and. They, they really need that speed on the field, though. That would really open up a lot of things for them. Uh, yeah, the keys to this is like, is, like you said, for Minnesota, it's shutting down the run. If you can shut down Harris and Stevenson and make Mac Jones beat you, you're probably going to win the game. Yep. Minnesota's defense has been kind of weird. Like, they'll... They win games. They make plays when they need to, but they do give up a decent amount of yards. And they have pretty much over the course of the season, in no way, shape, or form, have they been a shutdown defense. Correct. But they've been they they have been good at getting pressures. Adarius Smith is, despite despite what Brett thought preseason, he's having a he's having a productive. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. He's having a productive season. Um, Patrick Peterson is playing. Well, he's playing okay. He's playing. He's taking. He's getting opportunities. He's taking advantage of opportunities. But who did you say? Patrick Peterson. Oh yeah. I think that he's had a 
you know, for, for his age. And I think that we all kind of thought he was on the downward trajectory. He's had a little bit of a bounce back here this year. Um, but it just comes down to Mac Jones is going to give you a couple opportunities. Like that's just what it comes down to. He's given every defense, a couple opportunities all season. Can, can Minnesota capitalize on that, on those opportunities and can they make new England be one dimensional by shutting down that run early? Does Darius Smith still lead the league in sacks? No, no, Judon does. But Zedarius is number two, I think, right? Ten and a half, I believe, last I checked. Um, I'll look that up. You keep going. I know. So the difference between Zedarius and Judon, too, is like Judon, they scheme him up for a lot of his sacks. He gets a lot, like a ton of unblocked pressures and cleanup sacks. Zedarius Smith is actually beating dudes one-on-one. Which I literally said that he, he can't he's not capable of doing that. Yeah, he, Judon, apparently, Judon apparently leads, is. Judon leads the NFL with thirteen sacks. Darius Smith is fourth with a nine and a half. If so, if I had to guess, Steve, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me because we're sort of backcharting Pastors Pass Pro, but I would say Judon is probably a sub twenty percent win rate guy. Like they scheme him up so much to get free. Yeah. Kind of like how Baltimore used him, and similar to how Baltimore also used Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith in Green Bay was used very similarly to how he was used in Baltimore, where they schemed him up a lot. Yeah. Well, Minnesota's not doing that. They're letting him just go one-on-one with tackles, and he's winning. I would say Judon's probably a sub-20% win rate guy. Zadarius is probably a near 25% win rate guy. Um, Very different in how they get their sacks. But Smith has looked awesome this year. I eat crow on that. Like lots of it. Instead of turkey tomorrow, I'm eating crow. <laughs> Gross. So. Uh, but that can be problematic though. When you have a pass rush like Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, like Joe, like you said, Jones is going to give you a ball, whether it's a fumble in the pocket or <laughs> or a YOLO, who cares, throw it down the field ball. Yeah. Um and then Patricia's brain's gonna explode on the sideline. It's gonna be funny to watch. But that that's what they that's what they have to do is keep Keep Jones clean. The the more clean they keep him, the less the chance he does something stupid. This very, I mean, this very easily could be a ten to seven game. Oh, I know it could be great. Belichick, I mean, if there's someone that Belichick, I feel like, can definitely scheme up to give hell is Kirk Cousins. Oh, for sure. And hey, sure. what I that we didn't even talk about? It's a primetime game. Oh yeah, yeah you we're have getting, to factor that in. We're in prime time, Kirk. You have to totally factor that in with the Vikings. It's a prime time eight thirty game. The whole, all the eyes of the country are going to be on this game, and yeah, like couple that with the fact that Belichick absolutely will have a game plan for Kirk Cousins. Like, it could be a it could be a really tough day for for Kirk Cousins, but at the end of it, I trust Minnesota and their weapons to make enough plays, despite Kirk Cousins. What weapons? Justin Jefferson. What is Belichick? What is he the best ever at doing? I mean, he's the best at taking away number one receivers. He'll take away Jefferson. But I think Jefferson. But I think you're going to count on. He'll have one good. He'll have one game breaking play. I think, and that'll be the difference because the Patriots are going to get no breaking. The the Patriots are going to get none of those plays. That's fair. There's a real chance that the Patriots could finish under. Well, I, I don't know. 
I just the, the the Minnesota defense isn't that good, but they could finish under 200 yards of offense because the, I just the Patriots defense or offense has just gotten worse. It just keeps getting worse. It's been hilarious watching Minnesota pepper TJ Hawkinson the football for like little to no result. <laughs> it's been, like they are really trying to get their value out of it. He's averaging like less than seven yards a catch on Minnesota on like insane volume. I went back. I went back. Like twenty five targets. I went back and rewatched the or started rewatching that Minnesota Dallas game, and then you know, boom, first red zone possession, two targets in a row to T.J. Hawkinson, both of which should have been caught. One of which was in the end zone. The other was a yard outside the end zone, and he just went. Both of them went right through his hands. It, you know, it was a little bit. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't tight coverage. He had a step on him. And it just went right through his hands. TJ, no, no way. <laughs> I just, I like, are they doing this to just figure out right here, right now, are we re-signing him and they're, or what? Like, I don't, I don't get their total reliance on trying to push him the ball. I, <laughs> I don't either, man. It it's, it truly has been hilarious. I'm not saying that to be funny. It's been it's been actually funny watching them, watching Kirk target him. Like he had four more targets than Justin Jefferson did in the Dallas game. Yeah, I do not care who is covering Justin Jefferson. T.J. Hawkinson should never have a single game unless you're playing the Arizona Cardinals, maybe <laughs> who, right. who can't cover tight ends. Right. He shouldn't have a single game where he's getting more targets than Justin Jefferson. It just shouldn't happen. I mean, TJ, like, he, if anything, he should be there to be a distraction from Justin Jefferson. You should be using him to get Justin Jefferson open. It's, it won't ever work that way, though. It's the other way around. I know right? it like, is, but it shouldn't Jeff, be. Jefferson, Jefferson will pull coverage away from everybody else, which is that, that's what makes Hawkinson's lack of production on insane volume more funny. Yeah, it's not like he's they're committing any resources to stopping him. He basically just stops himself. Oh, hot. But, um, yeah, I don't know who are you taking in this game. You taking Minnesota? I'm taking Minnesota. I can't and I can't confidently, yeah, rest anything on the back of Mac Jones and uh, Matt Patricia. Patricia. I just can't Same. do it. I'm going to take the Vikings again, even though I don't want to. But although it would be nice to see Patricia get like just throttled, just destroyed. Yeah. I, I, give me like, I'd love, four, I'd love to see the Patriots put up three points again. Four turnovers. Yeah. It's nothing work. Yeah. I just, yeah. I think that I do think it's going to be a defensive battle. I think it's going to be kind of a slog. I think it'll be fun because I think that there will be turnovers. I think that. It'll be kind of an exciting defensive battle. It'll it'll almost probably be comical at points. Yep. But and I still think that like I still think Minnesota probably pulls us out in like a 14 to 10, 14 7, 17. They did like I don't Grody. Think, I don't think either team scores over 20 points in this game. Grody. Watch it! Watch it be an absolute barn burn now. <laughs> I know, right? Watch <laughs> Mac Jones throw for five touchdowns. 
It would. Well, that'd be funny. It'd be fitting. It'd be fitting because, again, there's just nothing about the season makes sense. It's just, it's just so, so much randomness this year. It's fun, but it makes for predicting things impossible. Yep. All right, Steve. Well, I we've got to wrap this. You know, we've 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 set out. We've done what we set out to do. We've had a very good discussion about food. We came. We saw. We conquered. Yes. So, but we are, since it is the, the gratitude season, we are very thankful for all the listeners yes. and all the support we've got yes. as we've endeavored into this podcast journey. Um, so thank you all so much. Um, enjoy your, your holiday this week. Um, eat some good food, watch some good football. And uh, we'll, we'll be with you guys next week. You know, we're going to take Friday off, but we'll be with you guys next week. So um, enjoy and enjoy. Everyone stay safe as you're commuting to your family parties as well. Um, I am Brett Whitefield, your host. This is Stephen O'Rourke, my co-host, and we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.